<laughs> well, I just may sing the sermon if that's how we're going to do that. That's good. That's good. I want to do an experiment tonight. I think I know the outcome of this experiment, but let's find out together. If you're here tonight and you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been following Him for five years or more, I'd like you to stand. You're following Jesus. You've served Him for five years or more. I'd like you to stand. If you're new to the faith, new to the journey, that's okay. You, you, you can stay seated. That's fine. If you have followed Jesus for ten years or more, you remain standing. You can have a seat if you follow Jesus for less than ten years. If you follow Jesus for twenty years or more, remain standing. If you have followed Jesus for thirty years or more, remain standing. This is going to take a while. If you follow Jesus for 50 years or more, (laughs) remain standing. I'm not going to give away your birth date, but you're giving away some information already. So that's not my fault. That's your fault. Uh, How many have followed Jesus for 60 years or more, remain standing? If you follow Jesus for 75 years or more, remain standing. Yes, Brother Paul. You're five, almost 78. I wasn't going to ask you that. I was going to let you divulge what you're going to divulge. Amen, amen. The reason I went through the next thing, you can have a seat, Paul. I should have you stay standing the whole sermon. Stand with me. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Uh, I'm sure sure you could. I walked through that experiment and exercise because my hunch is what you already know. Those who are gathering here tonight are often the, the core often those who have walked with Jesus for a good amount of time. And what excites me about this series that we're going to dive into together tonight, it's based off of a curriculum entitled Downpour, but it's really the book of Hosea that we're going to be studying together. And it's something that is exciting to me because this is intended for the believer. This is a message of hope for those who are children of God, who need an empowering of God. Rendezvous was a good series, but, but I preached that, I think, about six, eight months ago. So uh, if, if we have the downpour notes, that would be good. If not, we don't have to have PowerPoint. That's okay. That's okay. I can lead us through it. As you have your outline there, you see the, the scriptures that we're going to be looking at tonight is based in Hosea chapter 6. And take your Bible and turn with me to Hosea chapter 6. There we go. Amen. Amen. As you take your Bibles, you're looking at Hosea chapter 6. I want to give us some introductory information about this book that we're going to be looking at in different pieces of this book together over the next number of weeks. Hosea is the first and most theologically complete of all the minor prophets. Hosea ministered to a group of people who were wayward, people who were idolatrous and self-indulgent. They were the children of God, but yet they had waned away from the things of God. They desperately needed God, yet they were wandering from the one who their hearts were longing to be close to. And you know what is exciting to me is the theme of the book of Hosea is, is God's passionate pursuit of those whose hearts are moving away from God. I don't know if that's encouraging to you, but that's encouraging to me that, that God is passionately pursuing us. Even when we begin to, to wane away, even when we begin to experience some drifting, God is strong and He is running to you. There's times in our Christian walk where we feel like we are on a mountaintop when things are just popping spiritually. And there's other times when it's kind of a dry and parched and if we're really honest, it's a desert time. Have you experienced a desert time in your walk with the Lord? I believe that that God wants to pour out His presence and pour out His blessing on us. God instructs Hosea in this book to marry a, a prostitute. It's literally a picture of the nation of Israel and their unfaithfulness to God. And Hosea's 
persistent love for his wandering wife is a picture of God's faithfulness and love for his children. Let's look together at the first three verses of Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured or struck us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge or let us know the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge or to know him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. This is a a picture of of abundance. It's a picture of all-consuming downpour that God would shower His blessings on us with fresh grace and fresh mercy, a fresh outpouring, a fresh love for His Word. These verses we just read help us see. I want to look at three key areas that I think the Scripture is talking to us tonight about revival, about turning to God. And the first one is this it's an invitation to revival you can't study these first three verses very long without seeing an invitation to revival there's something that god wants to give you something that god wants to give me and he's inviting you and me to come and to get what it is he has for us here's a little bit about what that invitation looks like let's unpack that together this invitation first it's this call it's this leading us to say let's turn to the Lord. In verse 1, notice that the text says, come. It's an invitation. Come here. Come get what I have. Come to me. As in, you don't have to be where you are at. Where you find yourself in a dry and a weary land. Where you find yourself distant from the Lord. Where you find yourself kind of drifting away. You don't have to be there. Come to where I am at. It's an invitation from God to experience The fresh outpouring, the downpour of His presence. As we walk with God, the enemy can begin to chisel away at us and and we can see doubt creep in our life, but doubt can turn to fear. The discouragement that enemy brings in our life, it can become joy. The despair can be replaced with purpose and fulfillment. Defeat can become victory when we allow God to do something fresh and new in our life. Now, I don't know what it is that you walked in with tonight. Maybe it was a case of the blah. If, if I would single you out, which I'm not going to do, and I would ask you, what is the biggest thing in your life? You may say, nothing. Things okay. I'm just kind of blah. If, if that's where you're at, God can bring meaning and purpose to your life where you seem to be drifting and lost. Others, you may have walked in, and you don't have to think very long. It's a neon sign flashing in your mind, the crisis that is gripping you right now. God can take that discouragement, can take that moment of crisis, and He can work in it. He can work through it. Others of us, we're experiencing a time of of joy. I was talking with a friend the other day, and they they talked about the, the interesting paradox that the more that we experience God's blessing, sometimes it's harder and harder to be desperate for God. Something happens to us spiritually when, when we get comfortable and happy, we begin to forget how much we need God. God is a mighty God and we are a needy people. No matter if we've served Him for five years or 55 years or 75 years, we will always be in desperate need of something fresh and new that God can do in our life. Dryness can become a, a rushing stream of life, of, of vitality, It doesn't have to be a hard and stale and crusty life. It can be fresh and pliable and moldable. As we sang the song, Lord, melt me and mold me. That's the cry of someone who is hungering for a downpour of the Spirit in their life. Can you remember a time when the presence of the Lord was so close? If you don't have that now or if it's been a while, you can have that again. Come is an invitation, but it goes on. Come, let us. As in, you're not alone in this. You may feel alone. It may appear that you are alone, but you are not alone. 
It's come and come let us and come let us return to the Lord. Look at the text and see the word return. If, if you write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline that word return. There's not much more I want to say about this. It's just return to the Lord. This statement of returning to the Lord appears 23 times in the book of Hosea. It's a theme all throughout. Return to the Lord. If you have followed God for any amount of time, there should be, there will need to be a regular pattern of returning to the Lord. I'm not suggesting that you can't live in victory. I'm not suggesting that to be a Christian you always have to kind of sink back into the the pit of sin. That's not what we believe. We we believe in the victorious life. But friends, there needs to be a time when we we have a a fresh outpouring. In Acts chapter 2 verse 4 we we read and, and studied this morning. It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we turn a few pages to the right and we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it's the same group of people still meeting together. They had experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they had not backslidden, but it says in Acts 4, 31, that all of them were filled with the Spirit. What, what's happening here? Did they not get enough? Did they need a do-over? Did, did they lose it? Was it leaking? It was a renewal of the Holy Spirit. And as we walk with God, we see there needs to be these constant continual times of crisis moments specific moments where we return to the lord it's all throughout god's word but for sure all across the book of hosea looking at this concept of returning to the lord we find that there was things that blocked them there was issues that were keeping them from getting close to the lord again or coming back to their first love hosea chapter 5 verse 4 listen to these words or look in your bible with me Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge or do not know the Lord. Sometimes what's keeping us from returning to the Lord, these things that are in our way, it's our actions. It's our lack of action. I would return to the Lord, but there's these things that I'm doing that I don't want to stop doing. I would return to the Lord. There's these things that I'm not doing that I don't want to start doing. And it was their actions that kept them from returning to the Lord. Hosea chapter 7 verse 10, Israel's ignorance testifies against them. But despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Their pride or their ignorance that kept them away from what God wanted to do in their life. In Hosea chapter 11 verse 5, they will not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent. It's this I've been saved, I've been sanctified and set apart for God's holy use, and now I'm just petrified. I'm made rock-like stone, just waiting to die. It's these moments where we grow in the Lord and, and we experience these fresh outpourings in our early days of following Jesus, but life comes and, and disappointment comes, and if we're not careful, we can begin to get crusty. Uh, I'm not speaking about you, but uh, if I think about some of the people who are the most grumpy that i know sometimes it's the people who've walked with god for a while and they have no reason to be grumpy i'm not pointing your fingers at you there's more coming back at me but why is it sometimes that even in the church when when we've experienced the great outpouring of god it's not hard for us to get carnal again it's not hard for us to get brittle again we need to return to the lord we need an outpouring a downpour of his spirit upon us talking about this persistent love that God has for us. We see his love for Israel all the way into the last chapter, chapter 14, verse 4. God is still promising. God is still reaching out. He's still listening. He's still inviting them. And Hosea 14, verse 4, he says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Time after time after time. This repenting or this turning it's a crisis it's a specific moment in time when it happens it can happen for us again tonight right here it can happen any moment that we choose to come to the lord well let's look at this idea of returning to the lord there's three things i want us to see in your outline there that that talk about returning to the lord the first is to return to the lord what, what does that look like we have to have recognition we have to recognize something There must be recognition of what is wrong. Without recognizing what is wrong, uh, there will be nothing that compels me to return to the Lord. 
And so for the believer who's been there, who's done that, who's sung this, who's taught that, who has served there, who has walked there, who has sat in their favorite seat over and over again, this issue of recognizing that there's anything in my life or in your life that is wrong is a very tough hill to charge. But until we recognize what is wrong, we'll never get to returning to the Lord. We'll never get to repentance. We'll never get to revival. But when we recognize what is wrong, we say, this is harmful to me, God. This is hurting others. I don't want this in my life anymore. I recognize that something is wrong. You have to see what is wrong to be able to get to the next place where we repent. We change our mind about it. We say, this is where I was going, or this is what I was thinking. I want to do an about face, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm preaching to those who teach and who sing and who have served and who have read and studied, and you know this. It's not a lack of information, I believe, that challenges us. It's a lack of participation in this recognition and this repentance. It's the ability to say, God, I I am wrong. What I did, what I said, what I chose, where I went, it was wrong. You deserve better, God. I'm not worthy, God. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about this, but it's this idea of returning to the Lord that has recognition and repentance, and finally, we get to this returning. Now, there's a danger here. A warning sign needs to be put out when we talk about returning to God. There's a a thought that sometimes we can put this off, and if we say these things, it's a huge warning light for us. I'll return to God after I fix myself. I'll return to God after I take care of business. I'll return to God after I make something right myself. This is a dangerous place. Don't go here. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to get it right. You have tried on your own and failed time and time again. There needs to be a returning and saying, God, here I am, broken. Would you bring healing in my life? This returning is is you, is it's me saying that I am leaving this willful disobedience. I'm making a clean break with this area of compromise. I'm making a clean break with this place that I have drifted away. We don't have time tonight, but you know the passage in Luke that talks about the prodigal son or the wayward son. And we often love this story as the evangelistic text to talk about the son who has left home, who has come home. But my favorite part of this story is not the lost son who comes home. My favorite part is the stinking, rotten attitude of the older brother who gets hacked off and says, Where is my ring on my finger? Where's the celebration for me? I never drugged the family name through the mud. I never wasted all my inheritance. What's the big deal? There's this cosmic celebration. The father runs to throw his arms around the prodigal son. And yet there's this older son who is sinning who's disobedient not necessarily in sins of action but in sins of attitude i believe in the church that this is one of the first places the enemy begins to drive his wedge in to wound you to defeat you to destruct you but to take us deeper and deeper leading us away from the things of god where is my attitude where is my sin or willful disobedience and my thinking that is anything but productive. I believe this is not all a process. We talk about this process of growing in the Lord, and there is definitely a process. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about process, but we need to come back to the understanding of a crisis moment. When I had a specific encounter with God, something takes place, and it's not just a one-time encounter. There is an ongoing process, yes, but there needs to be a, a crisis, and there will be another moment, crisis, a specific time. Each and every one of us, when we walked into this building, there was a moment when we, we stepped over the threshold of the door. You continued to walk in the building, but you had to, at one place, enter in. You kept coming into the sanctuary. You kept moving up closer and closer and closer to the front. Two of you did. The rest of you didn't. But there was a specific time when you, you actually came in. Where is that moment, that crisis, where you say, God, I recognize something is wrong. I repent and I want to return to those great days of allowing you to supply every single need in my life. We need a crisis. When was the last time that you had a crisis with God? 
I want to ask that again. When was the last time you had a crisis with God? When was the last time that God took you and he shook you to the very core of your being? And you realized the the, the reality of of who he really is. Realize the, the nearness of eternity. The importance of living every single day for him. This invitation in verse 3 it, it's shifting it's expanding as we we move on uh, what does this returning look like it's about knowing the lord the invitation calls us to say let's know the lord the knowledge of scripture is a very important concept throughout the bible and i want us to talk about that tonight we were talking about it on sunday mornings but we're going to continue to look at how important knowledge is throughout the Bible. When we're talking about knowledge, it's, it's more than just information. It has to be information, but it's more than that. And, and here's some things about what we mean when we talk about knowing the Lord. First, there are facts about the Lord. And most of us in this room, we're good at facts. We've got to know who He is and what He has said and what He has done and what the Scripture says about Him. But it's more than just that. There has to be a heart understanding and engaging with the facts god doesn't want you just to think things about him god wants you to experience every day in your soul in your heart the truths that we read that we memorize that we teach that we sing it's not just information but there's an inspirational call in revival knowing the lord is not just facts about the lord it's not just a heart understanding about the lord it's an experience with god the knowledge of the Lord is, is experiencing God. Paul says in Acts 17, 28, In Him we live and move and have our being. In other words, this knowledge of God is everywhere we go, He is there speaking to us. Do you remember a season in your walk with, with God that everywhere you went, you, you heard God, you saw God speak to you? When you went to Walmart, God was there. There was a divine appointment and he pointed out someone you're supposed to talk to or you found yourself feeling convicted about some purchase you're going to make. But God was there. You find yourself at work and, and God is there. You find yourself at church and God is there. You find yourself at home and God is there. You find yourself all by, by yourself. You're alone and God is there. It's this understanding, this experience that God is with you. He is always there. Friend, he has not gotten any more distant. We've gotten a little bit more professional at compartmentalizing and saying that's nice i'll i'll see you back at devotions that's nice we'll talk again at class or group time we'll we'll, we'll chat again next time that i'm in my formal prayer time but right now i've got to take care of blank we can come back return to the experience with the lord lastly knowing the lord is recognizing the blessings that are from god James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. My grandma on my mom's side, we called her Nana. And if I heard this verse once, I heard it a thousand times. I was tired of hearing this verse. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. One of my favorite things at Nana's house is she had the orange slices with the sugar sprinkled all over top. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, those are amazing. I haven't had any candy in over a year, and I think I'm beginning to make some bad choices thinking about it too much right now. But it was these orange slices in, in the bowl at, at Nana's house, and there was this silly limit that we could only have one a day. I don't know where that came from, but I wanted to have one. And as soon as I would get one, she would always say, every good and perfect gift comes from God. In my early age, I thought, well, God loves candy, because Nana says every good thing comes from God. And that sounds trite and silly, and, and for a kid it may be important, but if we only think about that as an adult with candy, it would be silly. But it was consistent throughout her life. Think about the things that we are blessed with. Every good, if it's good, it's from the Lord. If it's not, it's not from Him. But every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Pete, here we are again. Uh, Another Sunday night. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling strong. There is breath in my lungs. There is life in my body as I'm looking at you. There is breath in your lungs. There's life in your body. We're here again. This life we're experiencing is a gift from God. Could it be that tonight... What we're experiencing, someday we'll look back and we'll say, these were the greatest days of my life. Brady, I didn't feel like today was that great. Could we look back and say, these were the greatest days, some of the greatest season of my life. And could we give glory to God? Could we praise Him? 
knowing the Lord is seeing every good and perfect gift and saying, this is from God. When we have great times with our family on vacation, when we experience blessings at work, when when we find favor with a friend and and we're enjoying fellowship, could we praise God? There is an art to this. There is an aspect of worship to this. It is returning to the Lord and saying, God, the friend you have given me, it's a gift from you. The financial provision you've given to me, it's a gift from you. The, 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 The ability to be content with the little I have, it's a gift from you. It's this call to know the Lord. Notice this call is an intentional pursuit. The NASB puts verse 3 like this. Let us know, comma, let us press on and know the Lord. It's as if the author is saying, hey, let us, let us know. No, hold on, that's not right. Let us Press on and know. It was this understanding that I believe that was written to us with with this excitement, this intensity that would say, hey, let us know God. No, no, no. Let us press in and know God. It's not this idea that, hey, let me show up to church on Sunday morning or show up to church on Sunday night and just tip my ear up and Pastor Brady will come put a funnel in my ear and dump some knowledge about God and then I leave. No, it's this actively pursuing, going and getting God. Friend, especially those of us who've walked with God for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, don't sit back. Actively pursue knowing God. You don't have to worry. You're not going to outknow Him. There's enough of Him to keep knowing. And Mrs. Taylor, she died when she was 90 years old. And I remember sitting at, in her, her summer cottage and, and talking to her. And, and I remember feeling discouraged and perplexed when I said, Mrs. Taylor, what is God teaching you lately? And she said, the more I know about Jesus... The more I don't understand. And in my mind I thought, oh, good grief, if Mrs. Taylor can't figure it out, I'll never figure it out. But she said it with a smile on her face and a tear of joy that trickled down her cheek. And it was an understanding that I can't outknow God. And this knowing God, it brings life to me. It's this ruach, it's the, the spirit, the breath, the wind that we talked about this morning that blows through us. This enthusiasm and energy that we put into knowing God, it should call us to re-examine not just our priorities, but re-examine our heart. That's what the invitation to revival is about. But let's, let's shift now and talk about the next thing, not just an invitation, but the, the pathway to revival. The first part of it we find in verse 1. I want us to see it in this phrase. It's through pain to get to purpose. Hosea 6.1 says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. I, I don't like this. If it was acceptable just to like omit certain portions and get on with it, wouldn't this be good? Like who wants to, who wants to read this? If, if we, we do some extra study, it gets a little bit even more depressing. This word torn, it's a very intense word. It's as if a predator would shred its prey. And this is talking about God Almighty. I mean, what do we do with this here? He has torn us to pieces. As we look at the Hebrew, it literally says this. It is he, he is the one. If we would translate it exactly, it is he, he is the one. Or he, he himself is the one who has torn us. There's no wiggle room to say that it's someone else or it's something else. What do we do with this? You see, what is happening? Who is doing this thing in my life that I experience pain? God is. Who is allowing this suffering? God is. Who is reaching out to me through this pain? God is. More than we would like to admit it, God himself is going after your heart, longing to bring you closer to him with a fresh and new and deeper way. Make no mistake about it. Behind the hurt that we experience, God can be found there. The thing you want to change most in your life, God is not going to waste it. Now, now don't misunderstand. God does not take joy in our suffering. God does not cause all things to happen. I'm not saying that this deep sin against you was caused by God. In God, there is no sin. There is no darkness. But God would much rather you go through anything other than stay in rebellion to Him. 
Friend, that, that's, that's God's word. It's the truth. It's the message of Hosea. He would rather us go through pain, go through a crisis to get to the place where we come close to him. Now, this idea that all pain or all crisis is a punishment, we find through scripture this is a mistake that the church has made for, for many, many, many years. And it's, it's dangerous to look at someone else and say, well, they're going through pain. They must have really messed up. That's not what this is about. Or it's not to look at ourselves and say, well, every time something goes wrong, well, boy, it's a punishment for us. No, it's to say that God loves us so much. That when life happens, when consequences to our choices happens, God isn't going to waste it. Because the most important thing to Him is for us to get close to Him. And so through pain, He takes us to His purpose. While He's not causing it, we need to be careful not to sidestep that He is there in every painful moment. Your struggling marriage, God is there. Your sensual sin, God is there. In your stubborn child, God is there. The sickness in your body, the loneliness that you feel, God wants to come to you through even those things. Notice that purpose of the pain. He has torn so that what? What's it say? Read it. What's it say? So that he will heal us. He allows us to be broken so he can put us back together. I've never experienced a broken bone in my body, but I've heard stories from friends about a bone that was broken so bad or an injury that happened so much they had to re-break it so it could heal right. That just sounds wrong. There is sometimes a a needing for a re-breaking of of injury or pain in our lives so we can get to a place of complete and, and total healing. God loves us. He takes no delight in our suffering. But if if it takes pain to bring us back, He will do that. Now, if pain doesn't do it, let's move on to the next phase we see here in verse 1 and 2. It's, it's through death we get to life. In other words, it's this rock-bottom experience. It's the place where you find yourself where, where death actually seems better than what you're going through. I don't know if you've experienced a time like that. It would break my heart if we had time to hear everybody's story. But there's been moments... I've experienced times in my life where you think that that death would be a welcomed relief to whatever pain you were feeling, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually, or relationally. It takes that rock-bottom moment that God will use to get us to life. He wants to chase after us as long and hard as He has to to get us to come back to the place where we see Him as everything we need. God would rather see you, he'd rather see me anywhere than living in rebellion against him. God is willing to do anything to bring this about in us. It's to rise us up to him. Will you relent? Will you return to the Lord? Now this idea of revival, this is in your notes, but you want to maybe jot it down in the margins if if you want. Revival, a, a working definition for us, at least for tonight. We'll talk some more over the next couple of weeks. It, it means a renewed interest after indifference or decline. A renewed interest after indifference or decline. It is this idea of bringing life back, but sometimes we've worn that definition out. It's this renewed interest after being indifferent or in decline from the things of God. In order to be revived, we have to be vived. To have life brought back, there has to be life to begin with. And that's why this message is primarily for those who are walking with God. It's for us. And we hear topics of, of sin, and we hear uh, illustrations that the Word gives us of, of the body of believers prostituting themselves and, and living for something. This surely can't be us. It's got to be to the world. Right? This is Sunday night, don't you know? I mean, these are people who, who live for God. Yes, but there's a warning to the people of God. Come back to me not just one time but let it be a regular pattern where the lord says right now i need you to acknowledge what is wrong repent and return to me well what's this look like what does the revival experience look like the first blank there of number three is this experience of revival you can jot that in well we're going to talk about this a lot in the weeks to come but looking at verse three we see that it's first it's available to us this experience of revival he says that it's himself going forth it's as certain as the dawn it's as certain as 
the sun going up and the sun going down. It's this regular pattern. You can count on it. He will be there. There's this military understanding behind this phrase. It's almost as as the armies go marching out, you can count on it one by one as a soldier sets his pace and his cadence and his step as the sun rises, as the sun sets, as, as secure and certain as the dawn will be. That is how faithful God will be to be chasing after us. It is available to us. You can have it. There's nothing standing in the way of the outpouring of the Spirit in my life and your life except ourselves. Now, if there was only one thing that I could share tonight, which isn't true, so I'm going to share more than one, but if there's only one thing I would share, it would be this. You cannot bring revival to the world. You cannot bring revival to your church. I talk to lots of people who they say, oh, I want to bring revival to the church. And I know their heart. That's not a bad thing to say. But sometimes I want to earn enough relationship change with them to say, you can't do that. And I know that often we realize that we want God to do it, but we long for revival in the church. This is the wrong place to long. You can't bring revival to your family. Well, this is getting depressing. But you can allow revival to come to you in your heart. Every family that's been revived has been by one person who said, it starts with me first. Every church that's been revived has started with one person who has said that this is wrong and I repent and I return to you, God, and something happens and there's a contagiousness, not from the person, but from what God does and it moves like wildfire. Every great revival, as you study them across the land, it did not happen because of some great preacher or some great person. We often like to talk about the people who are there. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw was the president of Asbury Seminary when the great revival came through at that college uh, a number of decades ago. Some of you remember that very well, and you experienced people who came to maybe our church and and testified about it. I sat in Dr. Kinlaw's uh, uh, kitchen, and I said, Dr. Kinlaw, with paper and pen ready to write it all down to replicate it i said tell me what did you do during that revival i want to know what as the leader what did you do i was perplexed a little bit disappointed but i'll never forget the rest of my life what he said he said i sat in the back and i tried not to get in the way i said okay good but then what did you do i sat in the back and i tried not to get in the way He said, none of us wanted to be the next preacher to get up that would preach a sermon that would end what God was doing. There was an understanding that God was in control and he was not. He he couldn't bring revival to his campus. He had a hard time pinpointing it. He talked about the students who gathered together on Friday nights for a number of weeks to pray. But but he talked about some of the professors who had this. And it, it wasn't just the environment that he created. In fact, he would be the first to say that sometimes the environment they created was so legalistic that it was hard for God to move. But yet God chose to do it there anyway. And, and it was powerful because everybody said, this is not like our chapel services. We, we don't do this. We've we got to be like this. But God did something. And it was it was a little bit strange. But when we understand that we can't bring revival, but God can bring it to us. And when that revival hit an individual's heart, and it was true, nothing could stop it. The wave that went across our region was one testimony of an unpolished person, unschooled in preaching most of the time, declaring what God had done. It's available to you and me. Not for us to try to give to someone else. It's not God being unwilling to give it. God is not saying, you've had your chance. It's too late. I visited you and your church too many times, it's over. That's not God. It's not God being reluctant. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of revival. We'll see what you do with it. If you steward the revival well, then I'll give you more revival. I've heard that. That's wrong. That's not God. God didn't say, I'm just going to give you a little bit. No, no, no. We limit it, not God. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you revival. And I'm going to give you revival. I'm not going to give you revival. I'll give you revival and you revival. I'm definitely not giving you revival. God doesn't say that. that. That's not what takes place. The experience of the revival, we need to understand that it is available. Now, now notice this picture of being available to us, every one of us, all the time. It leads us to this next understanding of the experience of revival, it's abundant. 
Notice the picture that God uses to unveil this abundant revival returning to him, this downpour, this outpouring of the Spirit. In verse 3, the NASB puts it like this, He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. The rainfall here is, is literally described as a pounding, driving, darting rain, this downpour. The intense, saturating, much-anticipated downpour that nourishes the crop, that readies the harvest, is this idea that He will come to us like this downpour rain. As we come to the end of the text tonight, we see that God is inviting us, that God wants to prepare us, He wants us to experience this revival. But I want to give you a heads up on where we're going together. It's dangerous. I sure don't want to discourage you from coming on... Sunday night, but I want to let you know it's going to mess with me, it's going to mess with you. We're going to look at how God on the throne gives us a picture of His holiness. Until I see how mighty God is, I don't really see how needy I am. We're going to look at a picture of the throne, of God on the throne, and a picture of His holiness. We'll then look at sin in the mirror, a picture of brokenness. We're so good at seeing sin in the world. I bet you every person in this room can list ten things that's messed up in the world. How good are we at looking at willful disobedience in the mirror? Sins of action are sins of attitude. We're then going to look at self in the dirt, a picture of, of repentance. The reason we can't go higher is because we're not willing to go lower. Humbling ourselves, repenting, acknowledging what we've been living in is, is not pleasing to God. Then next, the fourth, we'll look at Christ on the cross, a picture of grace. I'm convinced that we don't get enamored. We're not so amazed about Christ on the cross and become complacent to it because we don't really see sin in the mirror. We don't really lower ourselves to see how needy we are. But when we acknowledge how good God is and how needy we are, you don't have to tell the new convert, Christ on the cross is amazing. It's the greatest gift ever. It's those of us who've walked with Him for a long enough time. We say, God, you know what? 2015, you're pretty lucky I'm alive because I'm going to really help you out. God, you know, thank you for saving me from all that deep, miry clay, but we kind of got some jewel going on in our life, don't we? No. The more I see of Jesus, the more I know I don't understand, Mrs. Taylor told me. The, the closer I get to Jesus, it doesn't mean I live in, 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 in a lack of victory or, or I, I'm chained to willful disobedience. No, it's the more understanding that he has something more and something more and something more for us. He's not limited on supply. And when you really get a taste of it, you don't, if you really get a taste of it, you don't go, I got enough. I've heard people say, I kind of got enough. And I believe them that they've had enough, but they've not really tasted it. Because when you taste how good God is, you go, I need more of that. When God has really been faithful to you in the time when you don't have to conjure it up, you're not trying to get a touching, stirring testimony to encourage someone else, but you know you are at your wit's end, you are at the end of your rope, you believe in Jesus, you love Jesus, but doubt hits you. What do you do when doubt hits you? And you're supposed to be the leader's. God, I return to you a crisis moment. He will come after you like the rain. He will engulf you. He will pour on you. It will be this gushing, outpouring of His Spirit. And finally, we'll look at the Spirit in control, a picture of the power that will tie to what God's doing with us on Sunday morning. Those are the five things we're going to look at over the next ten weeks. But what I want us to catch tonight is, are you wanting to... Respond to the invitation to revival. Returning to the Lord. Knowing the Lord. What about this pathway to revival? Are you willing to allow the pain to take you through the purpose? Are you allowing even the moments of death to lead you to moments of life? What about this experience of revival? Are you engaging in how available it is to you? I, I don't know what service it was. I, my memory is so bad, I can't even, sometimes I can't even tell what point I preach in which service, and I miss some of them. But I shared this morning, it perplexes me how, how easy I and how easy you get distracted. Think of it for a minute. What does it take for you to disengage in a worship gathering? A little bit too much pause between a song? Oh, blew my concentration. Broke the spirit. Oh, I, I can't worship anymore. 
Someone to sing off key. Oh, I can't believe that. We've got to work on that. Take care of that. The, the, the message, well, it didn't quite make me laugh and cry when I wanted it to. It didn't motivate me and get me out on the same timetable that I want. Well, I just can't, can't deal with that. It, it wasn't a topic that struck me especially well. Well, bless you. Tell God you don't like that portion of Scripture. What if, what if we would stop saying, God, give me what I want, but what is it that I need? What if I turned to him and say, God, you are mighty and I am needy, so I'm going to trust that you will shower on me what it is I need. Something changes. Many of you have had the experience I have where you go on the mission field and, and we see people who live a very different lot in life and we're so amazed by the vibrancy in their worship and, and we're perplexed. They don't have buildings like we do. They definitely don't have music like we do. And I'm reminded of the author, David Platt, who talks about his missionary journey and he was so convicted. He walked into a room in, in, in another country and, and these believers in an underground church, all they had was their idea of what Jesus looked like and he comments how it doesn't look like what he knows Jesus to look like because he wasn't white with long hair and blue eyes but anyhow it was what they thought jesus looked like and 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 david talks about how they put the picture on the wall of jesus and they had very few torn pieces of paper that was scripture that they had and they just read the same text over and over they had and something happened as soon as the picture went up on the wall as soon as they read this scripture they've heard weekend and week out the place erupted in praise the conviction fell on david platt as he said in my church we need lights We need projection. We need production. We need graphics and outlines and all these. None of those things are evil. None of them are wrong. But why do we need so much? Because we are not willing to look at sin in the mirror. We're not willing to see ourselves in the dirt and humble ourselves in repentance. And until we get there, we'll never see how great and amazing God is. Now, my internal metronome is thinking... I. I hope you don't feel I'm hollering at you. I'm hollering at myself. Because I'm confident that God doesn't need anybody else. But who's in this room to do something amazing in our body? Remember I said we can't bring revival to our church. I'm not telling you how to bring revival to our church. I'm just saying, what if we allowed God to do revival in us? Over and over and over and over, God chose to use people that no one else would expect. I think so highly of some of you, I'd expect God to use some of you. And He will. But if you're here and you go, well, He's not talking about me. I am. As we close in prayer tonight, I really hope you didn't learn anything new. But I hope that there's just a little bit of a tug God, would you bring back that new again? Would you give me a fresh understanding of grace? A fresh understanding of who you are and a fresh understanding of how much I need you in a way that gives hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. And Lord, the picture is etched in my mind of our family here standing in declaration of their faith in you. And I arbitrarily picked a number. We've got those who are living strong for you that just happen to know you less than five years. They're in that family as well. But Lord, as we think about the generations upon generation that can give testimony to your faithfulness, testimony to how they have heard from you, testimony to what you have done in their life, God, I'm thankful for what you have done. But Lord, would you bring back a freshness and a newness that we won't have to tell the world about what you did 50 years ago. We won't have to try to convince the next generation that you did something in the good old days, but we can tell them what you did yesterday. We can tell them what you did this morning. We can tell them how you are breathing the ruach, the breath, the wind, the spirit of life into our bones these moments, that your fire, Holy Spirit, is still burning bright. It's still burning away the chaff. And your power and your purity is flowing, not so we can be lifted high, but so others can see you. God, would you wake us up that we are no longer here on earth for our purpose. And God, in the waiting time, there's some of us who have gotten so beat up and weathered the storms that we're just trying to 
hang on and make it somehow and try to be faithful before you call us home. God, would you let every person in this room know that you are not fretting, wringing your hands, that we don't know what else to do. We'll just wait till we die. But God, I think of Dwight, as he's with you now, every time I talk to him, he said, Pastor, I just want to tell one more person about Jesus. Lord, I'm enamored by that because I don't see Dwight, but I see you working through Dwight. Lord, would you give us that heart again? Would you call us back to knowing you, not just facts about you, but a heart knowledge and an experiential knowledge? Lord, would you show us the pathway to a crisis moment again and again? We live in victory, but God, I think we're in danger of living in in complacency, and we call it victory. Lord, would you give us a glimpse of the experience of revival? How how available it is to us and how abundant. We don't have to settle for revival every hundred years. You can move in fresh each and every day. Thank you, God, you didn't call us to take care of anybody else but to be obedient to you. So, Lord, right now we corporately surrender to you. I have no idea what you want to do through this ten-week time. But, God, would you draw us in Would you wake up the dead in us? Remind us who we are in you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen. I want to thank you for your attention tonight, letting your pastor ramble and rant and rave. Know that I am proud of you. And it's not just me who loves you, but your God is so head over heels in love with you. He is not done yet. Keep pressing in. He's got a blessing for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Pastor, we're in love with you. Oh, thank you, Jim. I love you. God bless you. Bless you, buddy. Bless you. If the Colts lose, know that my prayers were answered. If the Broncos... If the Broncos lose, I don't want to hear it. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't Facebook me. I know some of you have been telling me. Can't believe I spoke of that evil thing here in our worship center.